It's a great day for a podcast. Once again, here he is, John Oakley. You can retreat to a cool place and maybe crack open a good book. And if you need a suggestion in that regard, I got one right here. I was reading this last night. The Art Thief. A true story of love, crime, and a dangerous obsession. Michael Finkel is the author, and it's a fascinating account, so let's get Michael in here on The Oakley Show at 640 Toronto. Hey, Michael, good afternoon and welcome aboard. I hope so, John. Thanks for having me on the air. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, Michael, as I said, uh, heck of a book, The Art Thief, uh, whose name, by the way, is Stefan Breitweiser. So who exactly is this guy, was this guy, and, and what drew you to the story? I mean, this is like journalistic catnip. So museums have been open for about 300 years. They've existed. And since the day museums opened, people have been, of course, stealing from them. It's so tempting. But in the long history of museums, I think the second most prolific art thief stole from like 19 different museums. Stefan Breiweiser, the subject of the book, stole from more than two hundred museums, which is sort of staggering, but that's not the reason why I really love this story. It's the way he stole, which was non-violently during the day, sometimes with a guard in the room, you have to, you have to read it to believe it, uh, like a magician. But even that isn't the reason what, that I truly have obsessed over this story. And the reason is why he stole, which unlike almost every other art thief, he stole for the love of art, did not try and sell it, stole $2 billion worth of art and just hung them in his bedroom to enjoy. What a story, huh? Yeah, the remarkable thing is uh, he lived in the small town, a nondescript house in the attic, basically, two rooms in the attic, he and his girlfriend, and I just thought <laughs> all this, the uh, priceless treasures that are housed up there. His mother lived on the ground floor, and uh, I got, there was willful blindness, uh, she didn't want to know, but... Uh, <laughs> Nonetheless, you know, this guy, it was a contemporaneous thing. It wasn't like back in the 19th century or uh, thereabouts. Uh, he's still alive, isn't he? Right. When you think about art thieves, you think about, right, is, is this a historical book or something? No, this is nonfiction. This is true. Breitweiser was born in 1971, so he's in his early 50s now. I'm the first uh, North American journalist that he ever spoke with. We spoke to each other in French. And I love the way you mentioned his room. Yeah. So he <laughs> he's a full-time art thief, but he's sort of basically an unemployed freeloader living in his mother's attic. But I got to see home videos while doing the research for this book. And at the end of his crime spree, he had 300 works from those 200 thefts worth $2 billion just scattered and beautifully hung around his room. It looked like he lived inside a treasure chest. And it was like this nondescript house in this bland suburb of an industrial city in northeastern France. So just just when I when I think about working on this book, I think about walking into that amazing room and being greeted by sparkling gold and oil paintings and ivory, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And 200 plus museums that he knocked off uh, is no, I mean, these are all across Europe, correct? Yeah, he stole from seven different countries in Europe. He's a Frenchman living in the Alsace region of France, uh, which is where Germany, Switzerland, and France all meet up. So I think that was uh, to his advantage. Uh, there's so many little museums in Europe with priceless masterpieces that aren't particularly well protected, and he exploited that. You know, if it sounds like I'm speaking 
of Brightweiser with any sort of admiration. Well, I sort of impressed by his crime streak, but I certainly can't endorse stealing from museums. I mean, it's one of the great public goods in the world. We can talk about all the issues in the world, but man, museums, we all get to see priceless masterpieces. He took them for his own enjoyment and the victims really were all of us. Right. The public who were deprived of these because he had them, he hoarded them up there in his two bedroom uh, place in the attic in his mother's house. Michael Finkel is the author of the book, The Art Thief. We're talking about Stefan Breitweiser and uh, the guy, you know, he did a couple of stretches in prison because uh, he didn't always outrun the law. Uh, you say it's also a story of love. And would that involve his accomplice, who was his girlfriend at the time? Exactly. Uh, Breitweiser stole, for the most part, with his girlfriend and Catherine Kleinklaus as his lover and accomplice. I mentioned these incredible attic bedrooms. What I left out was that in the middle of this $2 billion worth of art was this amazing four-poster bed where he, Breitweiser, and his girlfriend, and Catherine slept amid this treasure. Yeah, she has served sort of like if he was the magician, she was the magician's assistant, sort of diverting people's attention. And together, I mean, they started out in their, like when they were 23 years old, and by just pure happenstance and the binds of love and the thrills of stealing, they became the greatest art stealing couple, you know, that it, that's known in the history of uh, art. Yeah, art theft. Uh, by the way, you know, as brazen as he was, you describe, Michael, that he would steal in the middle of the day, uh, nonviolently, even when there were people in the room or guards in the room. You mentioned magician a moment ago. Uh, it almost seemed like he had that quality about him. Uh, true or false, when you were interviewing him, uh, he actually stole your laptop unbeknownst to you. I mean, it's I, we, I interviewed him in these tiny European hotel rooms, like no bigger than a walk-in closet. And I was asking him, like, I said, Stefan, I really don't understand how you could steal something right under someone's nose. And right, I took my, I lowered my eyes to write like a note in my notebook. I promise you it was no more than five seconds. And when I looked up, Brightwise, I said, well, did you see what I just did? Now, I fully admit that Humans, you know, one of the things Brightwise was great was great at was knowing where our gaps are in observation. Like that's why you could sort of subvert guards, and you just don't notice the absence of something. Like you notice the presence. Like if there was suddenly a Christmas tree in my room, I would have noticed it. But uh, I said, Stefan, I don't see what you just did. And he stood up, turned around, lifted up his shirt, and there was my laptop at the small of his back. During those couple of seconds, I diverted my eyes. He had taken my laptop, stashed it in his favorite hiding spot, the small of his back, and sat back down as if nothing had happened. And it was a visceral sort of demonstration of how he was able to do that. I would never have been able to steal one piece. But uh, Brightweiser, with this combination of sort of daringness, skill, risk-taking, and sort of uh, pickpocket-like ability, could uh, steal things while, while even while guards were in the room. Yeah, you mentioned even uh, his athleticism. Uh, so he came as a sort of a complete package as a klepto. <laughs> well, well, you know, this is the thing, because you say uh, you, you didn't want to romanticize him as a kleptomaniac. So I, I guess, you know, uh, there were psychoanalysts who have actually studied him, uh, you know, I guess when he went to prison or uh, he was facing the music. Uh, what did they have to say about him? What was the compulsion there that was driving him? I mean, he claimed it was just his love of art and a, the aesthetic uh, but was there something more underlying at all? I mean, of course, I would. You have to think that with so many crimes and such sort of, let's just say it, like crazy behavior. 
Uh, John, I worked on this project from my first contact with Breitweiser until today for more than 11 years. And it slowly built up enough trust that he even gave me signed permission, the art thief did, to read his psychology reports. And I read about five different psychologist things. And in a nutshell, nobody could quite figure out what was going on between his ears. Always a complicated place to explore. Um, you mentioned kleptomania. He didn't quite fit the criteria because usually kleptomaniacs don't really care what they steal and they feel sort of shame and reg regret afterward. Breitweiser felt the opposite. He was very precise about what he stole and was celebratory. I mentioned the four-poster bed in his room, like to celebrate with his girlfriend in a romantic way after a great theft. Uh, so it was, he really wasn't pinpointable. He's sort of an outlier among outliers. And uh, you mentioned that he spent some time in prison. And all I want to say about that is, uh, you know, like any good Icarus story, the closer you fly to the sun, the harder the crash is going to be. And, you know, no matter how skilled you are at breaking into museums, no, very few people get away with one or two, let alone 200. You know, the, everything sort of crashes down in the end. But what happens to the artwork? What happens to those 300 pieces? I think we have to leave that for the reader to find out. But it is... <laughs> unbelievable what happens to the artwork it is it's quite the denouement but uh, i wanted to come back and maybe talk a little bit more uh, about his background and some of the artworks uh, because people need to know i mean the degree of deviousness almost uh you know when this guy he was an evil genius that he could steal these works and how he targeted them these are renaissance masterpieces and uh, i wanted to come back and pursue that if you've got a few more moments for us michael yeah, but of course, I think everybody listening, when I say imagine like something that you find unbelievably beautiful. Now, we all have different things. It could be for me, maybe a sunset up in the mountains or the northern lights or a lover. Uh, some people love modern art. Picasso, Bright Wieser, since a young, since he was a young kid, he loved late Renaissance art, which is 16th and 17th century, right when oil paints, as opposed to tempera, were coming into popularity. So bright colors. This was the age when you were released from church strictures and painters started painting scenes of everyday life rather than it was either wealthy people or religious scenes before then. And he, I, I mean, I went to museums with Breitweiser several times. He had to wear a disguise because he's banned from pretty much all museums in Europe. <laughs> and I watched him react to works that struck his his aesthetic bone and it was amazing he would like get trembly he would it was like an electric shock and i sort of it's no excuse but he was obsessed with these works he did not steal for money like most art thieves did he stole because he truly loved them and even i mentioned this psychologist even his psychologist begrudgingly admitted that this is uh someone who's not faking his aesthetic attraction he really didn't sell them he did just love looking at them away from museums how did you hear about him initially uh, to decide that, you know, you're going to put in 11 years conversing or trying to communicate with him to write a book? Yeah, I always uh, trying to work on my mediocre French um, and read a couple of small articles about Breitweiser in the French media. And I called up a journalist friend of mine who lives in France, and uh, she said the magic words to me. She said, that guy is not going to speak to any journalists ever again. He had spoken to a few in like 2005. And once she said that, you know, I was like, okay, challenge accepted. And uh, like I said, it it took more than a decade worth of work. And, uh, you know, we started by just exchanging. This seems so old fashioned. It seems like something out of Shakespeare. We started we started by exchanging handwritten letters uh, in French. And it took about four years of letter writing before he even agreed to meet me for lunch. Hmm. 
Well, if they made a movie, I mean, I don't know. Are, are, is there any plans to turn this into a movie? I'm kind of thinking uh, it lends itself to it because it's got all the right, you know, uh, benchmarks here. Love, obsession, uh, you know, femme fatale. Uh, and obviously, you know, the guy <laughs> stealing $2 billion worth of art. Uh, who might play him if there were such a movie made? Well, thanks for asking, John. So, uh, yeah, well, the, I think there is a movie in this material somewhere because it's so visual and so action-packed. You know, I do like to stress that whenever a movie comes out, of course, they're going to fictionalize it, but the true story is in the book pages. However, this is brand new news. I just did option the rights to the book uh, to a production company. You know, who knows will be who will be the star, but the name Timothy Chalamet, the star of Dune and other uh um, movies has been mentioned and he may he would make a good art thief timothy chalamet since he's whip it thin and sort of looks like a gymnast and has that athleticism and that sort of um spryness that uh the art thief employed to steal works of art in daylight hours and so he would be uh more or less a, a pretty approximate representative of stefan breitweiser is what you're saying yeah, and if he's he happens to be listening to your show, I don't know Timothy personally, but you know, please uh, get in touch and let's get you on board with this project. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wait for the movie to come out. But there was another documentary I watched because we interviewed, I guess, about two years ago, uh, the curator at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in mm -hmm. Boston. Mm -hmm. I was a monumental art theft. I don't know how many billions were stolen. A couple of Rembrandts there. Actually, that theft repulsed your uh, subject, Stefan Breitweiser. Why is that? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think when people uh, imagine art thieves, that's probably the most famous theft of the last 50 years. The Isabella Stewart Garden Museum, 1990, stole more than a dozen works worth half a billion dollars. Stefan Breitweiser, the main character of the art thief, uh, hated being called an art thief or being compared to an art thief. Those, those, um, those thieves in Boston hated art. They just wanted money. They not only attacked the guards and uh, physically beat them and and uh, handcuffed them to pipes in the basement of the museum. They did something worse after that. Uh, they marched upstairs to the most magnificent Rembrandt in the museum, a seascape from the 1600s, and stuck a knife in the canvas and sliced all the way around the inside of the frame, destroying some of the paint there, harming the work. This is something that Breitweiser could not imagine doing. He stole more than 69 works of Renaissance art paintings like that. He stole another couple hundred pieces of silver. He always removed the frame carefully, would never stick a knife in something, would rather go to prison. And so he didn't like being called an art thief. What did he like being called? Well, the world's greatest art thief liked to be called a collector with an unusual acquisition style that's what he likes to be called <laughs> it's there i'm looking at some of the pictures here including this wood carving of the lion and the lamb from 1650 it looks uh relatively large how does somebody steal something that big so as with any crazy crime spree we mentioned brightweiser's girlfriend who was at first a sort of limiting factor don't you steal anything too big this is too dangerous uh but as he got more and more cocky and more and more confident and more and more successful all these rules size you know daringness people in a room all these rules were cast aside as he took greater and greater risks eventually he stole you mentioned that wooden lion and lamb he also stole a madonna uh mother of christ uh carving that was more than 150 pounds he stole a 10 foot by 10 foot that's 100 square foot tapestry right off the wall of a museum and 
did these in ingenious ways. Let's think about, let's see, for the, some of them were just pure, just completely risk, um, risk open uh, thefts that he managed to just either fortunately or able to just like psychologically out, uh, you know, outwit everybody ways. And he, uh, he was able to get like huge pieces home until everything, of course, in the end comes crashing down. Well, we won't give it away. As you said earlier, that'll be the cliffhanger and folks would have to read the book just out of curiosity, the number of times then he was caught and the amount of time he served in prisons. Yeah. So sometimes uh, art thieving can be a really frustrating thing for, uh, for police because uh, until very, very recently, if I stole like a chocolate bar with a gun, that was considered worse than stealing a, a you know, a, a priceless painting nonviolently. It was how you stole, not the value. Lately, there's been cultural treasures laws put in place. Brightweiser spent about five years in total in prison over a couple of different stints. And that seems, if that seems like a shockingly low amount for $2 billion worth of crimes, then you have, I agree with thinking that, but that's sort of the way the law is structured. And, uh, you know, again, we're going to leave a few things out, but he truly was obsessed with stealing art, like to steal things, maybe not a kleptomaniac, but uh, certainly enjoyed like leaving the frames that he removed. I mentioned removing the frames in like places that infuriated the police, like sometimes would open up another display just to put the blank frame in there to show off. Um, and uh, continues to this day, seems like every time he's released, he'll spend a couple of weeks thinking, I can't steal again, I can't steal again. And he'll find himself driving by a museum and sort of like uncontrollably stopping inside, walking inside and stealing another piece. <laughs> right. I know, uh, and I know. Thus, the story continues. Uh, he's still around somewhere there in the eastern part of France near the Swiss and German border. <clears throat> the art thief, uh, Stefan Breitweiser, all documented in The Art Thief, the book, A True Story of Love, Crime, and a Dangerous Obsession. Michael Finkel, uh, really appreciate talking about this. Can't hardly wait for a movie to be made of it. Uh, it's that good. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on the show. You got it. Listen to The John Oakley Show live each weekday afternoon from 3 until 6. If you live in the Toronto area, just turn that AM dial to 640 and listen anywhere on Earth 24 hours a day by going to 640toronto.com. Follow on Twitter at AM640Oakley. You've been listening to A Curious Cast. New podcasts and shows are debuting all the time. So check back often to see what's new in the Curious Cast Library. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.